It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I've given up guessing exactly what Apple will and won't show until something actually leaks. Right, okay. Well, maybe they were talking about air power. <laughs> you know, something that they're demoing that could work. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 242 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitchell and I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Jaime Lopez Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? And roll up the carpets, red carpets, you know, let the banners unfurl. We have once again <laughs> Drew Freeman from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania on the show. All the way from Steeler country, yes indeed. Steelers, go Steelers! Yes, and of course, <laughs> you know, so we missed it. We missed making a big fuss for episode 42, right? We missed making a big fuss for episode 142, and I'm sure people are going to argue with me that 242 isn't a significant number, but it's got 42 in it, right? So I think that's an auspicious number. Don't you think it's an auspicious number? No? Yeah, I mean... Douglas Adams thought so. It's a recorded format. There's not to say we couldn't go in and do special editions like George Lucas and make a big deal about it. True. That's true. Yeah, we can we can, we can, we can edit this, re-edit this one after we're done, for sure. We can come back like a year or two from now. Yeah. Well, I guess that means I have to I have a certain pick I have to put in now Now that I've said that. All righty then. All right. So, hi, mate. Welcome back. Um, well, how was England? It was great. Uh, conference was great. Uh, my talk went well, uh, despite me not remembering most of it. I almost sort of feels like I blacked out when I gave it, but people seem to like it. I've seen the video. I think I did a, a pretty good job. And the country and people were great. It's just overall brilliant. Yep. Well, of course, I have a, a strange affinity for it because I was born there, you know. Okay, so do we have any Ask MTJC? The first one is from friend of the show and sometimes former guest host, Gregory Archibald Hio, who says, uh, two things I shouted into the phone while listening. One, violin tuning is G-D-A-E. Pretend you're an Australian saying good day to remember. G'day. Two, classic cocoa strings are backed by either ASCII or UTF-16. And then he has helpfully provided a link to the Apple developer docs. Mm-hmm. Good to know. All right, what else we got? This one is from you. That says, oh, really? Uh, quote, can we cuss on your podcast? 
<laughs> is far and away my favorite question. And that looks like that's a reference to uh, David Oaken on Runabout. No, actually, it's not. Uh, I was listening to another podcast. Um, I think one of Malcolm Gladwell's podcasts, and somebody actually said that. Can can we? Did did uh, yeah? I guess David did ask if he could if he could drop you know certain words or whatever. Yeah, drop some bombs on there. Yeah, yeah. But uh, we don't often get asked if we're going to do that here on this show. We I think it just kind of happens organically. But <laughs> but yeah, on, on Roundabout we've had some some colorful colorful language used from time to time. So yeah, anyway, cool. Okay, so I guess we'll go with Jaime first. You've got something here about a certain blog. Yeah, um, this is by Dave Verwer, who actually I met at Code Mobile, and he nice. also gave a couple talks there. That is he uh, English or American? Or? I, he's, uh, I don't know about originally, but he certainly seemed to be English now. Um, okay, <laughs> you know, like, like he's lived English? there long Come enough. On. He's you know he's picked up a bit of an accent. Uh, I assume I, I don't know. <laughs> You've caught me with my with, with no no notes ready to answer this question. Um, I'm going to assume, I'm going to assume he's English, but uh, yeah, so he's got a blog post entitled saying goodbye to app review times. So we've definitely talked about appreviewtimes.com a lot. I think it was a pick of the week way back in the day for us. And we've certainly mentioned it when there have been uh, big swings or, you know, patterns we've noticed in terms of apps taking longer, especially around WWDC and iOS release dates. And I think in most recent years, we've talked about like, wow, it's like actually pretty solid, like a day or two when yeah. your app gets through review. And that's kind of the gist of this blog post saying, yeah, it isn't really relevant anymore um, in the days where Apple is reviewing things rather quickly. There's a little bit of a description of the history of it. I didn't realize it had been around since 2011. It's quite a long time. And uh, history of like, oh yeah, this is why it's coming to an end. And, you know, it was great in its time. It's no longer, mm -hmm. you know, having a need and it'll be sad to see it go, but I 100% understand the, you know, just all the good things come to an end. Sure, sure. Cool. All right. Drew, uh, you have something for us here, right? right? Yeah, the on again, off again love affair between BB Edit and the App Store seems to be on again. BB Edit said they were going to be coming back to the App Store and now with all the sandboxing limits they are finally coming back in but it looks like they're also going to be trying out all the different purchasing methods with the per month, per year, or the perpetual licensing fee. But they've had the problem in the past where you could not actually have a an app in the App Store that would load in an entire package that would do its own install once it was installed. So I guess that has changed as well. And there are a few other apps that are also going to be joining back onto the App Store. Uh, I think uh, the Office Suite will be coming back, as well as uh, Panics Transmit and Lightroom CC. So a lot of those apps that they said back in 2018 were coming back to the App Store. BB Edit's uh, now doing it. The rest of them are coming now. The reason I moved this, this was originally posted in Main Stories, but I moved into the follow-up because this is actually follow-up for our show, because for a while there, what did we call it? The Mac, Mac App Store Exodus, I think it was? back in the day like probably 2014 there was mm -hmm. a lot of, we talked a lot about bb edit mm -hmm. decision to leave and the other the other apps and bb edit is my editor my text editor of choice if Yay. i use a gui so um yeah i have stickers from MacWorld, and i have a pin that i wear on my lapel and i'd love to know how rich siegel has had that app stay alive for as many iterations as it has it's yeah it's like a version 10 or 12 now isn't it yes it is yeah i think it's just coming up to 12 and um i mean i love it now because i don't even bother saving documents anymore because he's now using the containers, you know, the, the uh, uh, Mac OS containers to save things. So I just, you know, I do save files that I want to keep, obviously, but, but I like that I can use it as a scr scratch pad and, you know, yeah. quit and restart my Mac and whatever, and everything just reopens. It's great. So, yeah, it's one of my, you know, obviously my favorite app. And I've used it with, with uh, it has some code hinting in it. And, you know, you can choose the different types of um, documents that are, like if you're using, if you're doing Fastlane, for instance, which may, may become important in a couple of weeks, I'm not sure. But 
that um, uh, if you're doing Fastlane, you can choose Ruby, and then it basically highlights all the the text as you know as using Ruby uh, styling, right? So the recent uh, the recent major update had the Swift coloration finally added in. Oh, does it? Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. But it, it's 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 uh, I, I use it endlessly for for complex regular expressions, especially when I'm yeah, of course, yeah, when I'm trying to do grips replaces, uh, and the fact that it has the, uh, the it, it's it's not a terminal, but it's sort of a terminal right. worksheet that lets you effectively put together small shell scripts and run them. And if, say, you're trying to rename a whole bunch of files, I think one of the one of the things that I've used it the most for is I'll have a a base icon, and then I'll do a regex replace to have it duplicate up all the icon numbers that I would need for, say, an app icon. And it just does CPs and creates and does all the files right on the spot for me. Yeah, I, I use it every week for this podcast. In fact, I use it. I used to use it more. I'm, I'm I still use it for keyword and tagging stuff like that. And um, but yeah, I was using it for the actual HTML code for a long time. Um, now we're with a provider that does a lot of the linking for me. So but yeah, it's, BB Edit's been on my Mac since I don't know ninety something. And and uh, same. Yeah, I've strayed, but I've always I've always I've always got a copy of BB Edit running in the background somewhere for sure. Yeah, so I was happy when they were on the Mac App Store. I, you know, I still like I, I have a paid version of BB Edit. I should, I should let you know. I mean. Like there is, there was a BB Edit Lite for a while. I don't know if it's still around, but um, you could run BB Edit and, and just use it for free. And I did for many years, and then I realized, well, I'm actually making a living using this app, so I just started paying for it. And then when it went to the Mac App Store, I bought a bought a, a license there. And then it seemed kind of unfair, and I could see why he wanted to leave the store because there was no up, there is no upgrade path, right? So I think he's going to come back and try subscriptions out. I think you were saying, right? Yeah. What, you said he was coming back for another reason. Oh, 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 the uh, the, the sandboxing. What's what's the deal with that? And I just closed. And I just box. closed the uh, just closed the article. Oh, well, I can open it. There's two. Well, he's looking at that. I'm looking at the other part of the article that says mm-hmm. uh, so you can buy available sorry directly on their website for forty nine ninety nine. Okay, good. Uh, US or on the Mac App Store, uh, free download, and then the subscription price is three uh, three ninety nine a month or thirty nine ninety nine per mm-hmm. year. Okay. So yeah, back in February, BB Edit updated itself to be a fully sandboxed app, which is one of the things that's required, and the sandboxing limits their ability to to get uh, the extra software from working or getting any malicious software from working on the system. Right, but does that mean like so? I used to use it in integrated with uh, Interarchy, right? Like mm-hmm. I would if I was going to use like if I grab an FTP file from a server, I could have it open in BB Edit, and I could have it right back when I did my saves, right, through the FTP mechanism. But and that hasn't been working for a while, and I know there's an issue with I'm not sure it's High Sierra or or um, Mojave security, and I, hopefully he, he said he mentioned a while back he was going to figure that out. But uh, did you turn on permission for BB Edit to have access to files and folders? Uh, maybe that's what I'm missing. Yeah, yeah. Check your okay. security settings for BB Edit and see that it has permission to access everything. Because that's part of the whole with the sandboxing is that sandboxing says, well, I can only access my own document area. But with BB Edit, you want to be able to just open. I mean, the fact that you can open files neither text or in in hex, you know. Yeah, there's a. If you go into your security and privacy, there's a privacy tab, and then there's one called full disk access. Yeah, that's what I was asking about. I don't, like I said, I don't see that one as an option. Oh, do you have to hit add or something? Maybe. Yeah, you add in BB Edit to that. 
Cool. All right. What's next? This is follow-up, not because we've talked about it before, but because I listened to last week's episode Uh when I was out. You sure it's not a fact check then? (laughs) It's not a fact check. (laughs) This was related to your, uh, vaguely related to your foibles, your your machine that has uh, melted down. Uh, Yes. I don't think you yourself, just given your experience, will make use of this, but there are are many people who do. And what I'm talking about is the fact that Apple used to charge a $99 data migration fee for uh, movie data over to new Max and repairs, but beginning April 2nd, so already now as of this recording, there is no cost for data migrations with the purchase of a new Mac or data transfers with a repair. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so they're helping people out with that sort of thing. Well, I mean, it's kind of a kind of a drag. I've been to the App Store and stood in line and like a, like a you know, an animal and um, listen to them tell people, you know, make sure you back up your data before you come in and, you know, and, oh, I'm sorry, your phone can't be restored and here's a new one. We were, and they, they hand them a replacement and the the look of horror on the person's face when they when they when it dawns on them some of them some of them never dawns on them that that their data has got to be recovered from somewhere right and not everybody's using iCloud backup for phones for instance and and you know like like me um, you know I lost you know basically my all my current work when my when my drive melted down right and and thankfully because I'm I've been doing this for a while I've, I've got like 17 backups versions right so um, and timely ones right so I'm glad they're doing this at least now for free right yeah and I'm hoping that at some future point, Apple will make it so that iCloud backups are just a normal thing for, you know, let's say like size of the drive or, or even if not full size of the drive, because the operating system takes a fair amount. Like I'm sure they could do studies like, all right, here's how much data people generally produce and have on their machine that they would not want to lose and and just make that the free tier and then make the paid tier for, oh, all right, you're a professional photographer. You've got a bazillion photos. Okay, here you go. Pay us for the terabyte level of service. Yeah. I mean, one thing, Apple, Apple's iCloud doesn't back everything up, right? It, it doesn't back up um, music files that can be restored from other services or it doesn't back up applications, which, of course, can be restored. Whereas, like, you know, say Carbon Copy Cloner or Time Machine Backup are actually backing up everything that, that's uh, viable on your system, right? So, right. like, I mean, I do, I do a lot of development, so I have folders in, inside the, the, like, the, the websites are inside the library system, you know, folder, right? And those generally aren't part of a, uh, the, the friendly Apple, I'm doing air quotes, friendly Apple backup kind of stuff, right? So, um, mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. if I do a restore, I have to make sure, like, my SQL databases don't necessarily get restored automatically, right? Which is why I do the Carbon Copy Cloner backups and Crash Plan and stuff like that as well. But yeah, it's good. I mean, it's a pain. It's a pain point for people, you know, because nothing lasts forever. I mean, like, I've had this SSG drive, and, you know, this is the first time I've had an SSG drive um, fail on me. I've had, you know, USB drives fail, but not, uh, like, thumb drives and stuff, but not, uh, not something I rely on every day, right? I expect mechanical hard drives to die all the time. You know? Yeah, yeah. The the life, the expected life for SSDs is presumably a lot longer with no, no mechanical moving parts. Um, well, there, but there is a finite number number of saves you can do on an SSD drive. That's another factor that's people don't that people don't aren't aware about, right? So, so there is a day. The day of reckoning is coming, as my one of my accountant friends used to always say, right? So, alrighty. Um, so this was uh, this just came out. We talk about this every year when it comes out, and this is the um, Stack Overflow Developer Surveys. This is for 2019 um, and some interesting things. We usually look to see where Swift and Objective C and, and uh, Mac people are what they're doing. And of course, this is one where uh, when Greg was on the show, he used to love talking about this stuff, right? So, have you guys had a chance to paw through this uh, this year's results? I always love looking at the list that says years since learning to code. <laughs> oh yeah, because now I've dropped into one percent one percent range. Both, but well, I started when I was 11, so it's it's coming up on 40 years since I really? first wow. touched code. Wow. How about you, honey? 
I am, uh, let's see, the current age, I guess it's 20 years since like for writing first line of code. 9% of users said they're in the 20 year range. The, the, the largest one was five to nine years since they learned to code. And that's 31% wow. professional developers, not all respondents. Right, right, right. Yeah. As always, um, if Dr. Mark Rubin was here, he would say, well, you know, self-selecting survey. So you got to take a little bit of green of salt, <laughs> which is true because the, the, you know, the people who, uh, responded tended to overwhelmingly be people who have Stack Overflow accounts and Stack Overflow itself says like 99% of all its traffic is not signed in accounts. So just normal people looking to get an answer and get away from the website, go on with their lives. So there's, it, it, it's a, it's a very sort of narrow slice. It's not going to be, I think, broadly applicable, but it is an interesting set of data because they do have a lot of data here. It skews younger. Uh, a lot of it was like people who had largely come out of university, bachelor of science, computer science degrees within the last, you know, five to 10 years. So that's, the, and predominantly from uh, a lot of stuff from the West United States in particular. So yeah. it doesn't fully represent everybody uh, with like women and non-binary in particular in terms of the, the numbers, but it is, you know, a set of data that we can look at. And I think it's got some interesting points here. Yeah. I like the one uh, here about other types of education, like how basically developers are lifelong learners. 90% of them, all of all developers say they've taught themselves to, to code or learn a language. That's an interesting, interesting statistic. Yeah, gender has always been a tricky one here too, right? Let's look at professional developers here. Yeah, seven point five percent women. That's not not good. We have to we have to get at the girls in middle school when they start to learn to lose their interest in development. Right? Uh, STEM and STEAM has been doing much much better over the past few years. Yeah, it'll catch up. I'm sure. Let's see. Where's get down to the languages? That's always fun. Does it? Is it do they cover that here? They have sexual they, orientation they for the second year. Oh, go for it, Drew. Oh, I was just saying they have the second. They have sexual orientation for the second year. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But everything is still still pretty much you know it, it hasn't broken into uh, into into uh, I think representative percentages that represent the, the countries or the pl- or the planet as a whole still. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to see who the, the individual person who had the most influence in tech this year. Elon Musk at thirty percent, Jeff Bezos at seven, Satya Nadella at four. Me or myself <laughs> at two point five percent. Yes, and that was hilarious. Of- that enough people to register as not just a full percentage point, but multiples of percentages points yeah yeah. you're like oh me i'm like really who who's answering this Look, looking at programming languages, Objective-C is down at 5% now, and JavaScript obviously is the highest, which is, I guess that's web, right? Um, I love that Swift and Kotlin are almost neck and neck. Yeah, yeah. Pretty I, close, I, you know, top 10 ranking there. Python uh, moved up quite a bit. Uh, kind of makes sense just given how pervasive it is in academia, as well as, I think, growing interest in uh, machine learning and data science programs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, Node.js is kicking butt in uh, other frameworks, libraries, and tools. Uh, let's see. Platforms, ooh, lots of Linux and Windows, lots of Docker. Pretty much shows you that LAMP is still a fairly prominent thing. Yeah. Oh, and dread. I think this was dreaded. Um, Objective C is number two in the most one of the most dreaded languages. That one I, I don't really like. Okay, I get um, Visual Basic. Like that totally that makes sense. I don't. I don't get why Objective C ranks so high in the dreaded. I don't know. It's, it's a little it's, weird it's to me. It's got that's such a bad rep since everybody's everybody's. I think when I talk to young developers, a lot of them think, okay, well, I'm I'm here to learn Swift and. I 
you know, they 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 fear Objective C, right? As as a this sort of strange otherworldly language, right? I mean, I I can get it in some respects in terms of uh, having done Objective C as my you know my bread and butter for a long time. It was you know it has some really nice things about it. It has some real awful warts, but you know when I'm enjoying life with Swift and then occasionally just hating everything and wanting to just burn the entire world, <laughs> why won't this stupid thing compile? What is the compiler telling me here? Um, I don't know that I uh, view Objective C as like oh no, like absolutely can't go back to it. I think newer code, I'm of course going to write in Swift. Uh, don't go out of my way to write Objective C, but there are there are times when it's sort of like the right thing to do when you're um, you know in an existing code base or maybe even some circumstances where you're trying to just quickly iterate on something and say you know type safety be damned. I just want to see if this concept even works, and then I'll rewrite it in Swift. You know, once I once I get the basic idea. Going. Oh really? Okay. Yeah. I'm looking at the platforms that developers are working on, and you know, Linux and Windows are, are never going to be a surprise. But what surprises me is that 20, nearly a quarter of the respondents said Mac OS, and closer to an eighth said iOS. And I'm just surprised that that many are still working on the Mac as a platform for development. Well, it's interesting if you go down to the the yeah the dreaded and loved platforms. Yeah, they're, they're neck and neck here. Um, actually, Mac is a little higher. That's not surprising. But I wonder too, though. I mean, like you know, when we started this podcast four or five years ago, um, iOS was like the the hot, new hotness or the hotness at that point, right? And I don't know if it's fallen out of favor in, in a sense, right? I mean, we're st- obviously those of us listening to the show are obviously interested in iOS, but and macOS. But uh, what do you think? Do you think the the that iOS the bloom is off the rose and all that kind of stuff? Or I think it'll be really interesting to see it after this WWDC and the announcements that are are rumored to see what they're going to do with all of the iOS Mac convergence. It will be curious to see what I think right now. It's 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 an interesting number to look at, but I think that if the the if the what was the analogy you used uh, just now? <laughs> yeah, the, the bloom, bloom off, off the rose. rose. Bloom off the rose. Yeah, uh, honeymoon's I, over. I I think it's I, I I can't say for sure if that's the case for the long term. Right, right. Yeah, I think Tim. This harkens back to the episode zero or negative one. Yeah, uh, where we had our yeah. conversation on 360i Dev many years ago about oh right my, yeah. my hypothesis around technology cycles and how web had completed its ten year cycle of like oh my gosh if, if you got a pulse and you know dynamic HTML here you go here's a million dollars go have at it to the sort of like middle stage to the later stage where larger companies have come in things are commoditized we are well in that cycle right count it for the two thousand. It's it's been more than a decade of, uh, of iOS development, uh, native iOS development, and I don't think it worked out quite the way I thought it would. I thought it would be, yeah, you know, it's just a job, you know, just move on with it, you know, move on with your life. It, I think there's been enough bumps uh, upwards up along the way to keep it sort of fresh and alive. But I don't think it's like the golden heyday of like, oh, person in their basement makes an app and it makes tens of millions of dollars, right? It's clearly not that. We're talking about things like BB Edit, like, oh, wow, it's a big deal. They're coming back to the App Store to do subscription pricing sort of thing. And when I look down at the, it's, uh, it's under work and then salary by developer type. Yeah. Um, I'm going to look on the United States uh, tab because I did notice a big difference in sort of global distribution of salaries mm-hmm. versus mm-hmm. United States. And I'm more familiar with the US. Mobile is looking pretty good. This one, two, three, four, five, six. It's number seven uh, with an this average. I'm going to assume it's average of $112,000 salary, which isn't too bad because above it is things 
like engineering manager, which you would expect a little bit more uh, site reliability engineers and DevOps folks and data scientists. Like a lot of that stuff is going to have premiums right now for where things are moving. But mobile is still doing pretty well. It didn't fall to the bottom of the list of like, all right, it's 100% commoditized. Nobody's even looking for them anymore. Um, it's a little curious to me that mobile drops way, way, way down on the list when you look at global. And I mm-hmm. don't know mm-hmm. what's happening there. But maybe it speaks to some sort of difference in uh, one. We talked about the respondents here and their particular slice, or even two, maybe there's a difference in the kinds of um, attention that mobile gets in, let's say, like the West, like the United States versus other places in the world. But at least for us here, you know, in this hemisphere, um, it certainly seems like mobile is still hanging on as like a thing you can get paid a premium for. Not as much as you could have back in like 2009, 2010, but it's still doing pretty good. Still paying the bills pretty well. Yeah. And then you can do a tab between global and United States salaries. Um, Not surprising at all to me that the United States being a higher cost country tends to have higher salaries. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, But the the positioning of mobile, mobile is next to the bottom on global at 45K. But for United States, what did I just say? It was like number seven at 112K. Hmm, And Tim, can you talk talk to it as far as Canada is concerned, is Canada reflecting closer to the global numbers or is it reflecting closer to the mobile numbers? We're closer to the United States kind of numbers than global. Like, uh, you know, we're, we're sort of the 51st state or whatever we, we call ourselves, but, um, <laughs> you know, uh, without, without, without the, uh, the, the headaches or the baggage. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I think we're, we're more or less the same. If you look at like hired dot hired.ca or hired.com has a salary chart and we're comparable to, um, in terms of salary and just what, what people are making in the States. We're obviously nowhere near what's making in California or New York, but well, that's also living, living expenses there. Yeah, yeah, cost of living is, is quite quite a bit different there too. So yeah, I think it's I think it's more or less the same. I mean, yeah, not mind you, these these dollars are American dollars, and yeah. So if that's the case, then no, we're we're probably a lot lower than these numbers we're seeing here. In terms of, I like, will you know, point out that we do have an international audience. I'm very curious if anybody has interesting data points or, or things they just like to say. They can hit us up on Twitter with hashtag AskMTJC. Let us know how how are things looking your of the woods is mobile still still a thing you get you know paid a, a premium of some sort for or is it just another development job and, and maybe you could find yeah. other skills uh, related to development well it's who i mean the other thing too about about mobile development you know or just in terms of what phones are out there i mean you know the united states is very heavy on on um iphone i believe and then and then uh, globally it's more android right yeah it's like let's call it 50 50 because it's it's so close mm. and varies quarter by quarter year by year it's roughly 50 50 ios and android and globally it's like 80 20 uh sorry right. i guess 2080 yeah. ios to android right cool i was looking at the um the um languages earlier or where was i technology top paying technologies and if you look at that one um in the united states uh objective c is in fifth place is, is a top one of the top you know after scala closure uh go and erlang right um and kotlin is coming up behind there and swift is like way down in the middle of the pack and then if you look at globally uh objective c and swift are, are in kotlin or, or kotlin and swift are very very close together, but they're way down, you know, below uh, below the median of, of um, salaried uh, technologies, right? So more languages, I guess. Yeah, it, it is interesting, and it's a little weird given that we just 
talked about the fact that Objective-C was like yeah. way up there on the most <laughs> dreaded list. And I think the way I synthesize this is with two different bits of data. One that's in this report, which is the fact that um, uh, I think it's like salary per years of experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Objective-C folks tend to have more development experience right. uh, as opposed to like the large glut of like fresh off uh, out of school sort of developers learning Swift as their very first language. So there, there is that in terms of salary uh, and, and expectations and, and earnings. But I also think that given that this is Stack Overflow, I wonder if some of the larger uh, tech companies have a disproportionate amount of um, impact to this, right? So like mm -hmm. we know for a fact that Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, and I would just assume Airbnb without knowing for sure, they use a lot of Objective-C. They've been around for a long time. They have a lot of developer platform stuff that um, until recently would not have lent itself very well to Swift because of the ABI compatibility issue um, prior to Swift 5. Uh, I wonder if their salaries, because they're, you know, they're known to be paying pretty good salaries, especially for engineers that are in the Bay Area. I wonder if that's bringing up the average for Objective-C to punch a little bit higher than it normally would. Mm -hmm. Well, in most large packages, you're dealing with a code base that sometimes predates the language so that turning that ship, so to speak, always requires them to be on the older language. Um, I worked years ago on Microsoft Office for the Mac, and there was clearly the world of Objective-C at this point. We were clearly in the OS X days, but most of that code was still written in C and C++. Right, yeah. yeah. And you, you just, you don't turn a code base that fast. True, and there's probably a lot of demand, which I, I guess is why the Objective-C salaries are higher in that sense. Well, I guess we can, we can move on from there. Um, so we were you were alluding to the uh, the new technology that uh, is made out of crushed almonds um, <laughs> coming to WWDC. Um, and so the next story here is that uh, predictions that the next um, Mac OS, and I forgot which number it is coming out soon, 1015, I think 15. it is, uh, will include um, standalone versions of the, of the music app, the podcast app, and TV apps and uh, books as well, um, which are apps that are on um on iOS, right, and and this is because of the marzipan transition. But so there's two two sides. The one is that that I think that's pretty obvious that that's going to happen. So there's two two parts to talk about this. One is what does that mean for iTunes in its future as as a sort of Swiss Army knife of of bad uh, experiences? Or the other side of it is, do you really think we're going to get marzipan at WWDC for us to use? Well, they basically said we're going to show you a preview last year of something that will have more to show you next year. So that right. could. Mean mean that it will be available for some early development, or it could mean that they're still working on it. It's it's hard to say. I, I've given up guessing exactly what Apple will and won't show until something actually leaks. Right, okay. Well, maybe they were talking about air power. <laughs> you know, something that they're demoing that could work in the future. Yeah. What do you think, Jaime? I, I forgot the first question, so I'm going to answer so, the Marzipan one. Yeah, the, the Marzipan iTunes one. and, and what are WWC, are we getting, are we getting a tools, tooling for Marzipan? Yeah, I I don't think iTunes will go away yet. I think these will these apps will supplement until the time that Apple is ready to, to move on from the I mean it, it takes up the vast majority of usage. It doesn't really address what ends up happening to uh, connecting iOS devices. Um will they drop support for that? 
and will that piece go away? What happens when you plug in an iPhone sort of thing? Um, But I do think that I will predict that Marzipan will not be uh, available for um, production usage by developers such as us in in this year or WWDC and and the release launch in September. I think the production launch will be 2020, Mm -hmm. but I do think we will get some sort of preview of like, oh, um, start trying this out. Like you so won't you be able to ship any apps a, with a, it. A marzipan preview. Yeah, ex- exactly. Oh, like like da- like the dash code thing that we had back in the day, like where you could sort of build little pretend apps. Yeah, to, to try it out and, and start seeing, you know, you know, how does it work? Where does your app fall apart if you're trying to migrate? But I don't think you'll be able to publish apps and have apps out there that will work with right. um, stock macOS, uh, even stock macOS 10.15 in, for this year. I, I, I think they'll need another year of just letting it bake. And then I don't think there's a huge rush. There's not like a huge obvious reason to, to rush this because it's a really delicate sort of thing. So I, I think production in 2020, I don't think we'll be left out in the cold. I think this is the year we will get a preview of it and get to try it out. Right, right. Well, I think my opinion is I think iTunes takes a lot on the nose for um, like, like remember we used to bash about the fi- the Finder needed an upgrade and Finder is horrible. It's been dragging along, does too much, mm-hmm. you know, back in earlier days. And then it got rewritten and parts, you know, it got swiftified. And I mean, like, like they even added a bunch of new things to, to the Finder in terms of like asset management and, you know, doing previews and things like that. I mean, the command shift five thing is probably the only keyboard command I use that, that came out of last week, last year's thing. So uh, using Finder as an analogy link. Um, so I don't know about iTunes, whether it's going to get cannibalized, but uh, yeah. And, and I, I, I sort of tend to think the same thing. I mean, there's, there's a lot of trying to get UI kit to work, you know, inside of, I mean, obviously they've been, they're doing it, but trying to get it to work inside of uh, Mac OS because there's the app kit versus UI kit sort of stuff, right? It goes on and whether or not, uh, whether or not it'll be ready for, for public consumption or for developer consumption, right? Yeah. I think there's the, like, you know, will it technically even work? <laughs> Does it compile sort of thing? And then there's the, okay, what are the best practices? What are the, the human interface guidelines end up looking like for Marzipan apps? And, and people wanted to get a chance to make like really good quality experiences that I think there's still so much uncertainty in my mind about that. That's why I said 2020 for production and uh, let us try this out as a beta or a preview as Drew put it. Right. And, and Drew can probably address this, but the, the whole idea of mouse events and keyboard events and windowing, right? There's not quite a bit uh, sort of different in Mac OS. It, it is, but it will also depend entirely on how much they try to attach the usage to say your trackpad. If they try to make your trackpad okay. a touchscreen for for this app because, you know, you do have the menu and the menu bar access to an application, but running an app is different. And I really have not sat down. I really should sit down with the news app on Mac OS and see how the the interactions are different. Because that will really be sort of that guideline on how they're beginning to look at that. All right. Okay, cool. So you've got something here about uh, tvOS? Yeah, it looks like 12 to 1 for TV. TVOS dropped. It's got unannounced bug fixes. It would seem that some of these apps that they've been pushing, the new TV uh, app and the news app, are still having little bits of problems. They may have found a security hole or the like, but there was just a very small drop for 12.2.1. None of the other two, uh, .2s have had a .1 release come out yet, but I wouldn't be surprised if we see those over the next week. Right. Okay, cool. All right, let's move on to Netflix, I mean. Netflix is apparently 
confirmed that it is dropping AirPlay support and won't let you uh, use AirPlay from your iOS devices to Apple TVs anymore. Hmm. Um, as noted in this article by The Verge, they did it with sort of little explanation and little warning. Uh, after the fact, they sort of claimed like, well, you know, it's because with the way the technology is, they can't actually tell which device they're streaming to and therefore can't tune things for user experience purposes. Um, there are people on the internet that have ideas about like, you know, at digital rights management, DRM sort of concerns and other things. If you ask me for my money, I actually think it's related more towards um, the fact that Netflix is going to experiment with a mobile only plan as they're oh, raising really? their, hmm. their, their normal pricing. So I, let's assume a normal plan instead of being, you know, $12.99, like I'm going to be paying starting next month, they will have like a, a $4.99, $5.99 plan. Well, that works great if you're using a small device like an iPhone or an iPad. But if you had AirPlay for those things, your mobile only plan is basically a much cheaper full plan, full service right, plan, right, yeah. if you can AirPlay. So I don't think this is a dig at Apple and like, oh, they're getting back at them for uh, Apple News Plus and Apple TV Plus and all these other things. I, I really think it's just let's not have this loophole where people can very easily get around our um, our pricing tier structure. Right. Well, do you think it was intentional? Because I've, I've seen other apps that are for consuming streaming stream data, not from Netflix, that from time to time have, you know, or version to version have dropped um, AirPlay or, or messed it up, right? Um, like where the button just isn't there or just doesn't work. Um, you know, it, it improves over time, but like, you know, I can I can pretty much AirPlay just about anything these days, right? But yeah, I, you don't think it's you don't think it's because of the fact that, that Apple's kind of become a TV competitor? I, I, I think that's like a secondary effect, uh, if anything. Um, and, and to answer your other question, uh, the company, uh, Netflix's official support page now includes the phrase, AirPlay is no longer supported for use with Netflix due to technical limitations. So it's not an accidental whoopsie. You know, a developer broke the build and, and people forgot to run the unit test sort of thing. Um, it does appear very intentional. I, I don't really think, it, it doesn't make as much sense to remove it as a, um, you know, a stab in the eye to Apple uh, for competitive reasons. I, I really think it's because of that mobile only tier that they're uh, supposed to be coming out very soon. I think I read that YouTube is also now raising up their cost for uh, for their programming as well. That's right. You get more channels and you get to pay what turns out to be 20% more for me, uh, $10 more per month. Really? Which, Are you, do you have a YouTube subscription, Jaime? I have YouTube TV, uh, assuming that's what Drew is talking about. Yeah. And yeah, they're going to add like a Discovery Channel and Oprah Winfrey Network and Food Network, Animal Planet, a few other things. But um, a big thing for me is like, I didn't really care about those channels enough to pay more money. It's why I don't pay uh, Comcast locally for cable for that. And the $10 rise has me really thinking about alternatives. So I'm you know going to be looking at Hulu TV with uh, the attached Hulu plan to see if, if that ends up being better. Certainly cheaper as of this recording. I like Hulu's programming. Yeah, their originals work seems to be uh, something that might tip the balance in their favor for, for my personal selection. Um, their limits on the cloud PVR for the, the regular plan at, at like $45 a month is it's not great. It's like 50 hours of, of PVR time, which on YouTube TV, I have no such limitation. I'll just watch everything if I wanted to or record everything if I wanted to. And um, I have to look at my usage and see like, okay, what am I actually watching um, now that it's, you know, only 50 hours? You know, will I, will I be more diligent about removing things from the queue or be more careful about adding things to the queue of recording? I mean, maybe it ends up not being, you know, that big a deal at all, but it, it is something where this is causing me to reevaluate what am I going to do for my, my digital media consumption desires. Hmm, interesting. Well, we'll have to wait and see, right? Like anything else. 
What do you got next? Oh, the next one is, uh, I thought it was just a little release note that actually got an email about today uh, as of this recording, but uh, turns out the interwebs is on fire with this. So this little documentation update from Apple that says, uh, you know, hey, here's how, you, uh, here's how you'd notarize your app before distribution. Uh, the part in yellow is the part that people are in a tizzy about, which is important. Beginning in macOS 10.14.5, all new or updated kernel extensions and all software from developers new to distributing with developer ID must be notarized in order to run. In a future version of macOS, notarization will be required by default for all software. So what does notarization mean? I remember thinking that it was a way to um, like sign your software, uh, mm-hmm. kind of similar to the way that, um, that current signing works. But uh, unlike, let's say, uh, iOS development, where like you, barely, like you have to make sure this developer certificate is, is signed, otherwise the operating system like absolutely refuses to run your software, right? That's part of our build process. But macOS isn't really fully like that. Like we talked earlier about the uh, Mac App Store apps and and what you have to do for sandboxing and entitlements and stuff. That's cool and great. But pre-existing software that you just, you know, download from the web and run locally, like Gatekeeper gets involved there. But this is like an in-between where uh, rather than having to sign up for the um, Apple developer program and pay the the yearly fee to distribute, uh, you would not have to pay for this. It'd be free service from what I understand, but it would be a requirement as a way for Apple to provide extra due diligence and security around software. Like, was this actually um, a legitimate copy of software? Like, remember the, what did they call it? It's like Xcode Ghost or something. It was like hacked versions of Xcode that were being oh, yeah, yeah, right, redistributed yeah. from servers in China. Yeah. yeah. So this would, would um, not prevent that sort of situation, but Apple could say, hey, wait a minute, like this is not a legitimate version of Xcode. And then yoink, there goes the, the uh, notarization authorization and those copies would be dead, right? Very similar to like when rogue apps get out for iOS or macOS uh, that require signing, they can revoke the certificate and then you're, you're good because like it won't spread and propagate anymore. The notarization also can be revoked in case you have your comp- in case you compromise your uh, your signing certs. Oh, yes. Good point. It says here at the top of the article that uh, uh, Apple Notary Service is an automatic service that scans your software for malicious content, checks for code signing issues and returns results to you quickly. And if, they, if you pass, then you they generates a ticket for you to staple to your software. Uh, so Apple is notarizing the software is what the case is. And then I guess that allows gate, gatekeeper will allow it to be installed or run or whatever. Right. So, cause you currently, you can go in and say, if it's unsigned, you can go in and say, yes, I, I take the responsibility for the software and let it run. But I think you're saying now it's going to be even more mandatory. The notarization will be mandatory in a future unspecified version right, of Mac right. OS. So all these but, sort of little pieces of software that we run piggly piggly, like application drivers and stuff like that won't, won't run? Well, that's the thing that has people sort of in a tizzy right now of like, oh, what does this mean for development freedoms and open source and all these other sort of uh, co-related topics uh, for macOS? Because you have had this freedom from day one and everybody who's been on iOS is like, what's the big deal? I don't care about that, <laughs> right? Like right, it's so right. unusual to have unsigned um, software that it's it's going to be an interesting chasm for Apple to cross in this particular case. Right, right. How many amendments do you guys have? How many what? How many amendments do you guys have? Like, to the U.S. Constitution? Yeah. It's yeah. like, uh, without looking, I'm going to guess it's 25. Oh, Maybe this would be like the 26th Amendment. <laughs> <laughs> I get to have my app on. I get to install any app I want on my Mac. Let's see. Real-time follow-up constitutional amendment. Amendments. Many of them are there. Uh, scrolling way down. 
bottom of the list. Oh, um, I was close. There are 27 amendments. I said 25, so I was off by two. Well, theoretically, you were correct then because one canceled the other one out. We had that no drinking amendment, and then we had no, it's okay to drink amendment. So those two cancel out. You consider that 25. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right, Drew, you have something here. So Yeah, it looks have- like Apple has updated the web preview for podcasts. And I, I mentioned this could be a follow-up because I remember listening to the show, I think the week before I came on, when you were talking about the fact that you're not supposed to number your episodes anymore. Yeah, right. And they've completely changed the format of the way that the web preview looks. And if you want to see it, what you do is you uh, look up a podcast in iTunes, you copy the uh, the link, and then open that link in your web browser, and you get a nice big icon of the web broad uh, of the uh, podcast, the number of episodes that are available, and a lot more visual uh, real estate taken up with the podcast. All right. Okay. So th- do we need to do? Do we need to make a preview, or does it is it just allow you to preview the? I think the, it just. Uh, using the same graphic that you've uploaded in the past because, well, I mean, for for, uh, MDJC, it's just the big keycaps. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, so so like in this um, screenshot that's attached to the article, they've got like a play button underneath one so people will be able to play the right from the Apple website. Looks like. Yeah. It's not like we have to make a video or like, like, you know, with the app store, we have the, for iOS, we have to make a little video to run as a preview. Not like that, right? Yeah. So Tim, if you look a little bit lower in the show notes, Drew has Helpfully, oh, very thankfully, provided the uh, Apple Podcasts web link for our little oh, show here. Cool. And it'll be linked yeah. in the show notes, too. I did my homework. Huh? I did my homework. But I, I don't get, I don't I don't have a preview. What's going on? Ah, but you may notice it's podcast.apple.com slash US. Oh, in, yeah. In, yeah, no, I'm, that's where I am. Okay. Do you guys get the preview or, or what's going on? I'm unclear what you see. So I see. I don't see know, the little. Time. I don't see little play buttons. I don't see each each one with a sort of a summary, like the screenshot. I don't see what you guys see, like in the article screenshot that's there. Oh, that's interesting. Maybe maybe you should put CA in there to see if that uh, that changes it. Mm, why would that matter? Oh, yep. Yeah, I I just pressed the play button and I could hear a wonderful intro music. Maybe see. You, maybe once again, it's only US. <laughs> Did they prevent it? Let me yeah. see. Let me try CA here. So instead of US, I'm going to try CA. I'm using Safari. Am I supposed to like have a certain version of Safari? No, I'm using yeah, twelve point one. So oh, oh, it looks yeah. You know what? He might be right, Drew. Like I went to uh, same link, you know, podcast.apple.com, mm-hmm. but instead of slash us slash ca, and it looks like I'm staring at iTunes. It's really mm-hmm. weird. Yeah, and it's like episode one, two, three, four, five, all the way down the side, and it's episode two forty one, episode two forty, right? So yeah, yeah, and I'm previewing it right now in Chrome, and it doesn't look the same in Chrome as it does in Safari. Mm-hmm. So it may be a Safari. Yeah, I'm using I'm using Chrome and it's working like a champ. Um, I could open up Safari and see if it looks the same. You say it doesn't, huh? All right, Safari. Let me see side by side. What are the differences? Unless it's changed since earlier. Uh, it looks pretty close to me. I'm trying to see if there's any visual differences. No, maybe maybe they updated it since the last time you looked. Yeah, it does look slightly different now. What does? You looking at Apple Insider one or something or? Uh, no, he's looking at the uh, Apple Podcasts uh, preview link in Safari versus Chrome, and I'm not seeing any differences here, but I just opened this um, as we're going through this show here, so I didn't see what, what Drew saw earlier today. For those of you driving at home, if I am if I click on so oh, so it's not working for you anymore, or it is working for you? Because if I look, if I click on the link to their podcast, the App Insiders, on um, in the article, I get just plain old. Yeah, they've, like, they've changed it since I looked earlier. Because if you look at Apple the uh, if you look at the article in Apple Insider, you can 
can see it's a much larger graphic. You can yeah. see that the uh, they've spaced out the, uh, the the episodes with information, and now it's gone to an almost yeah. simple table view. So I have a feeling uh, that this may be a temporary thing, or this may be something they're in the process of changing. It's something probably worth keeping an eye on. Maybe it was a leak or something. Might have been. Accidental leak. Hmm, interesting. All right. Well, we'll keep an eye on it. Sounds interesting. We'll have to make our uh, our uh, cold opens a lot much more entertaining than Jaime. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? Yeah, exactly. Um, so what have we got? For, what's the next story here? This one, you know, we were just talking about uh, Apple being real nice and not charging $99 for data migration. Uh, but apparently they're a little loose with the, uh, the purse strings when it comes to verifying that the devices they're getting are actual legitimate Apple devices. So really? this is a story about a con that was happening in uh, the state of Oregon where uh, two college students were repeatedly shipping in uh, fake iPhones from China that specifically would not power on. And then they'd take them to the Apple store, say, hey, look, it's not powering on. Apple would be like, you're right. It's not powering on. Here you go. Here's a brand new iPhone. And then taking those iPhones and shipping them back to China and selling them on the black market. Apparently oh, they made really? something up to like like a $900,000 loss for Apple through the like thousand, uh, let's see, 2,000 phones in 2017. Wow. Yeah, it looks like $900,000 in losses, yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, it's like back in the day when the iPad first came out, and people would put like blocks of wood in an iPad in a, an iPad box and sell it, you know, in the in the parking lot of a Walmart or whatever. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, as long as it weighed about you know approximately the, the amount of weight you'd expect, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Right. Lots of fun. Lots of fun for the boys and girls. That's an interesting, you know, bit of ingenuity for those guys and to do that. But yeah, because uh, there's lots of iPhone knockoffs in in China as well, right? Like they must be really good though. Like. Uh, I mean, let's assume it's, you know, like sawdust or some other thing that sort of weighs what an iPhone would roughly weigh. The exterior must be really, really good that Apple employees who use these devices and touch them every single day didn't immediately be like, what the heck is this? <laughs> you can't just give me a, a bar of soap that's been whittled and carved into the shape of an iPhone. I mean, it's like counterfeiting dollar bills. If somebody got it, got a hold of the molds and, you know, maybe bought got some glass or whatever and figured it out, right? Yeah, I just feel like the materials. Don't the devices actually have the... Uh... Uh, serial numbers on them? No, I guess they don't. Yeah, on the back. Yeah, they do. Oh, the, the new glass ones don't. Yeah, the glass ones don't. Ones with the glass backs, the new 10R, 10S models. Does mine have? A... I've got a 10, and it doesn't. Yeah, that's kind of a drag. All right, all right. Let's get around, go around the table like we usually do, and see if we have any picks. And do we have a pick, Carmen? We do. Mine is from the uh, the fine people over at RayRenderlick.com. I've heard have... of them. <laughs> 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 they have thankfully put up a, um, and very helpfully put up a blog post called What's New in Swift 5? And it's got a, a nifty cool project. Of course, you're going to need uh, Swift 5 tooling and uh, kind of expecting you to use Xcode 10.2 for this particular project. And they stepped through. It's actually a fairly long article here of uh, all the different cool things. Nice. In no particular order, I do think that uh, for those of you who are interviewing at jobs and if they let you choose the language, maybe you might want Swift 5 because they have testing integer multiples, which, spoiler alert that's going to be very important for the fizzbuzz test that you may or may not go oh, through. Really? <laughs> so instead of doing the <laughs> you can amaze your interviewer by instead of doing the uh, the mod remainder sort of thing just like hey is this number a multiple of this number 
And guess right. what? It also handles zero too. So uh, <laughs> there you go. I've just gotten you a job with, with the nice. fine stuff here. Nice. Uh, and they talk about uh, dictionary literals, which we actually talked about on the show before and how it's been uh, renamed to the more sensible name of key value pairs. Uh, some updates to um, the way the string interpolation works. Um, I think one that will be interesting here for SDK developers is handling future enumeration cases. So before you can really just only have like, you know, case one, case two, and then your default case. But now you can actually have a um, unknown at unknown annotation that will um, allow you to handle those future cases, right? Uh, but Swift will still warn you that the switch isn't exhaustive because you've specifically told it like, oh, like there's unknown stuff here versus default sort of just being the catch-all that can be a source of bugs, for example. Cool. All right. That's neat. Of course, there's also stable ABI. Yes. Yes. That's almost good too. Very yeah. nice. Very nice. Yeah. All right. So my picks, I've got a couple here. Um, one is, I mentioned off the top of the show, that it's two, episode 242. 42 being the significant number is also the logo on James Thompson's apps for PCALC, which has been around since the dawn of time. And uh, so, yeah, PCALC is the official calculator app of the More Than Just Code podcast. And I believe it's also the official app of the Roundabout Creative Chaos podcast. So there you go. And I guess we can make it, we announced in today, it's the official po- calculator app of Spotcast as well, eh, honey? It can be. And the, the 42 is even more theme appropriate. That's that true, because episode 42 will be the next episode of, of Spotcast, right? Woo-hoo. That's true. Yeah. We, we have we have um, episode number stability between the two podcasts now. <laughs> yep. Um, and then keeping up with our theme of WWDC, uh, is it safe to say you're going to WWDC now, Drew? Yeah, it is. Okay. So Drew and I will both be at WWDC this year, not necessarily together, but, you know, in proximity. Uh, but so I, I was looking around to find out where all the, where the, the parties and stuff like that are and the after events, because there used to be a bunch of after events uh, in when I was going back to WWDC. There, there used to be an parties. app for all the events. Yeah, yeah. And there used to be websites, and they don't seem to be keeping them up to date, or maybe it's too early. I'm not sure. It's too early. Uh, but yeah, so there's, there's an article here I was reading uh, uh, from uh, last year, from June of 2018. Um, a gentleman named uh, Kai uh, published this. Uh, Kai's notice is, is a blog, blog post. He's uh, helpfully done a blog post about uh, all the things you can do and see at WWDC, what to expect, you know, when to line up, uh, you know, arrive on Sunday to get your badge if you can, rather than rather than having to go into two separate lines to get your badge on Monday morning for the keynote. Other tips here are, you know, the breakfast lines and water bottle tips, and that's going into the keynote, I think, right? Yeah, and then uh, sort of just how to get into the keynote and, and uh, have a good time. And, and th- similar to, I mean, I think I've mentioned before on the show sort of the tips and tricks that I used when I was going lining up for keynotes in the past. Um, I was fortunate enough to see two Steve notes back in the day. Um, I think, Drew, you've probably seen a, a keynote or two, right? Um, yeah, so it's, it's uh, and a bit about the, I mean, Mus- I mean we used to go to Moscone for uh, WWC when I was when I was going there, so it was quite a bit different than, you know, pictures of the labs and the, the common areas where you can hang out and stuff like that. So kind of interesting, uh, interesting thing. There isn't an Apple store per se in San Jose, is there? Does anybody know? I don't believe so, though there is typically at WWDC sort of, uh, well, it depends from year to year, but they sometimes yeah. have WWDC swag available or right, course, they yeah. have some Apple shirt swag available at a table. 
And my tip to you, if you go into these events, because I've had people pick up T-shirts and stuff like that for me from WWC, but you get the T-shirt on day one or day two if you can, because they go quick. You know, they, don't, yeah. they don't stock them with, you know, there's 5,000 people vying for the same T-shirts that you're vying for. So, yeah, grab grab your, sw- your swag early if you can. You might have to miss a session to do that, right? So Do everything early. Um, yeah. If you haven't been to WWDC, line up for the keynote. You have to at least do that once. You meet some really amazing people that you spend four to nine hours with overnight. It's an experience, but in truth, and a lot of people don't realize this, the keynote isn't meant for the developers. The keynote is meant for the public to get a flavor of what's coming in their their September Christmas boxes. And the one that you really want to be in the front row for as early as possible is the one after the keynote, which is the State of the Union. That for right, developers lunch, yeah. is is the most important one, and then after that, line up and make your appointments for uh, for any of the uh, the labs or the uh, consultations. Yeah, so like with the labs last year, did you have to did you have to book a, make an appointment early, or did you have to just show up? And how did the labs work last year? Do you know? I have no idea. I, I, the last time I was there was before the lottery. Oh, but okay. You haven't been. You haven't been to. to I haven't been there. Okay. That that was how it worked in 2012. Um, right. And depending on how how the rooms are set up, sometimes they will have an interesting topic in a smaller room, and they will cut off access to that room. Right. Right. Again, right. this is they going back have... to 2012. But then again, I also go back to 97 when it was yeah. in San Jose. So I remember what it was like at the San Jose Convention Center back then. Right. Right. Is it the same place, the McHenry Convention Center? Is that I'm same? not sure sure if it's the same. I don't know if the convention center in San Jose has changed or not. I uh, Honestly, it's going to be one of those things that I'll walk into and go, yep, this is the old place. Or, nope, yeah, this is a new yeah. convention center. Right. Well, Mark Mark would know because you know, he, he and I went there two years ago to see where it was going to be before it showed up. I do know that there, there's like a podcasting... Last year there was a podcasting uh, booth or event, a place where you could do a podcast if you want to try it out. And I think you had to make appointments for that. And they went pretty quickly too, those appointments. And uh, there's also, I, I, when I've been going before, there's been an iTunes team. I know the iTunes group, or, or I guess it used to be called iTunes Connect. Now it's what, App Store Connect? Mm-hmm. There might be a team for that. And you, I, I would recommend if you have issues and you plan on talking to somebody there to check it out and make sure you make an appointment early. And the labs are wonderful places for two things. One is getting an understanding of a technology that they've introduced because somebody will be there usually right after the talk to discuss more of the conceptual thinking behind it or understanding it or unwrapping it and getting a better idea for it. But also, if you have source code and you're having difficulty finding a way through a solution, as they always say, there's a thousand engineers from Apple there. You can find somebody and get those effectively free uh, technical incident moments where you can talk to somebody. And you'll be surprised. I've actually sat there and they've gone, oh, look, I found a bug in the source code to the operating system. And they'll go tap that out and enter that into a, into the bug reporter. Sure. Okay. And just as a, I think last year we, we picked Mark's brain about, uh, you know, how to get it, get to San Jose and things to do in San Jose. So I'll, I'll post that as part of the show here, um, today. And I might send it out as a separate, uh, in case you missed it kind of thing last year, um, for people coming this year. So yeah, we're looking forward to seeing everybody down at WWDC this year. What, let me interject here with some real time follow up. And that is the question of an Apple store in San Jose. I looked it up. The, that is the Apple Oak Ridge store at 925 Blossom Hill Road 
San Jose, California, which is, according to Google Maps, a 11-minute drive from a south of the San Jose Convention Center. Mm, cool. All right. It is not, however, run by the Apple Oak Ridge Boys. <laughs> that one went over my head. Right. <laughs> I, I was going to need some some explanation. Yeah, there's a band a, called Oak Ridge Boys, isn't there? The Oak Ridge Boys was a, was a country music band. Right, right. I guess that's it for another week. So, hey, hi, many people want to get a hold of you how they do that? I'm on the internet as at Dev with the Hair. On the internet? Oh, I'm on Twitter as at Dev with the Hair, but generally on the internet as oh, okay. at Dev with the Hair. And uh, Drew, are you, do you have an internet presence or social I am on the internet as Lord Andre, L-O-R-D-A-N-D-R-E-I, spelling of Lord Andre from the, the Russian background. Right. Okay, cool. Um, and I'm, my name is Timitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A, and I'm on the Twitter machine as that and many other social networking places like that. So yeah, until next week, we'll see. Bye-bye. 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 If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at mtjc underscore podcast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskMTJC. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at patreon.com slash mtjc. You can find details on how to help us out on our website at mtjc.fm slash sponsor us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Yeah, and team, as it were. Um, yeah, we had an argument once. Maybe you can settle this. You, you, you've done some theater stuff, right, Drew? Mm-hmm. I've done, I've done a good bit. Okay, so so we argue sometimes about whether it's and scene or end scene. I've heard both used. I can't help you with that one as an argument because I've heard people use both and and give history for both. It's, you know, and dot, 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 scene or end scene. Um, I am partial myself to and. Okay. Because yeah, it's sort true. of a and wait for it scene. Yeah, I, I get it from the, the early, I think the Amy Fowler um, class of, sorry, Amy Poehler class of Saturday Night <laughs> Live, you know, because yeah, they used to do that at the end of their, their skits and when they were doing it. A skit within a skit, you know. Oh, was it yeah. somebody just told me it was the 20th anniversary for the fever of more cowbell? Oh, really? Oh, interesting. Wow, gotta have more cowbell. I used to have an app. Um, I used to have a cowbell app on my phone. I wonder what happened to it. I guess it's gone. Hmm. Reminds me because you used to, you could get it to say I need more cowbell. But apparently that's so. 20 years now. I think it was 99. Yeah, yeah. By the way, did you see my tweet that I just sent out? I just no. uh, I just took receipt of just before the show started of an original Mac 128 manual Ooh. that I found on e- and. And it's and it's in near mint condition. I mean, it's not 100% perfect, but better than some of the manuals I've seen on eBay. And the guy also threw in a, a Mac Paint manual as well. So yeah.
This is the one with a nice glossy, you know, the Picasso cover on the front of the manual and, and the nice glossy uh, Apple style, like Shiat Day pictures inside. So yeah, we talked about it. We think it was a pick on uh, one of our or one of our episodes. Oh, those are pretty. Yeah, so it's it's nice, nice. enough. I've, I've got I've got some original um, Mac uh, floppy disks as well that my wife found for me once on eBay. So we're just we're talking earlier about uh, maybe making a shadow box for these two guys to live in. So there. You go. <laughs> I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to take a picture and raise the ante. Of oh, you got some stuff. Oh yeah. Yeah, I have a 128 Mac as well, and a 512. So. This isn't a contest, by the way. No, of course not. <laughs> <laughs> I have to remind Tammy of that all the time. <laughs> so you don't see it on our Slack. We, we have a, we usually post our episodes onto the Ray Wonderlick Slack and, and our brag about our. And one day Tammy put her thing up and sort of said, "Ah, I beat you to it." And I'm like, "Hey, it's not a contest, Tammy. <laughs> it is now. <laughs> yeah, it is secretly. It secretly it is, but I tell her it's not because <laughs> we both publish on Saturday. She's been pretty good lately. She was going for months and months and months and months without publishing a show. Now she's like pretty pretty on top of it. Uh, I've, I've got my schedule where I'm going to start rolling uh, starting next week. Oh, with the epi- your um, mm-hmm. Ray Wonderlick podcast? The full episodes start uh, not this coming Wednesday. No, they are this coming Wednesday. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we start with James Dempsey. Yes, you mentioned that last week. Who I record tomorrow. Cool. Yeah, we met him at RWDEPCO. Well, you probably met him too. When mm-hmm. he's doing his, his... Well, you said you're a... You're a uh... I'm a conditional breakpoint, yeah. Conditional breakpoint. Mm-hmm. Trying to find who's, do you know? Do we know who's going to WWC from the team? Like uh, some people have been mentioning it, but oh, Jeff! I, Jeff I, is coming from. Um, he was my first editor, actually. Tech editor, not tech editor, English editor, whatever. Jeff Rames, who we've mentioned on the show before. Okay, I've just sent you a, a Twitter response to your tweet with the oh, manual from the Macintosh, which yeah, simply reads, "I'll see you and raise you." Oh, okay, good. Go here. Oh, you got the original Apple too, and oh, look at you. Got a big ink spot on it. I'm kidding. <laughs> Does it have a nice glossy? pictures in it too though yeah and it also has the fold out uh, schematic oh really cool yeah the, nice. the apple II reference manual which actually came with a schematic of the motherboard oh okay yeah. in case you ever wanted to make one of your own yeah i have i have an apple 2c here and we have all some of the manuals for it but it was it was like a um, valley village finds there weren't uh, i didn't actually i i own one but i, I didn't own it back in the day the apple 2 manual was the only one that actually came with a schematic of the hard, uh, a schematic of the uh, motherboard. It came with the ROM actually disassembled. It had a little miniature 6502 instruction booklet in it. It's it, it's by far one of the most amazing things that Apple ever produced and never would produce again. Yeah, yeah. It's sort of the oh, I have a signed uh, a was signed um, schematic of the of the um, Apple Apple Logic Board mm. signed by the man himself. Yep. That's in, a, that's in a frame somewhere. And the only real signed Apple thing that I have is an old rainbow-colored beach towel uh, from Apple that's signed by Douglas Adams when he spoke uh, at a lunchtime chat at WWDC. Nice, nice. I have a, my badge, got my badge signed by Bill Atkinson once at WWC. Because he was, he was he's a developer now, right? Just a regular schmo mm-hmm. like us. He's one of us. Yeah. Not one of us at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't forget you guys have access to the um, visitor 
is part of Apple Park, where they have the unique um, oh, t-shirts the... and other stuff that you can buy. Oh, really? Why is that? Oh, because we can you can go over there. You mean? Yeah, because normally we're like, hey, Mark and Greg, you guys live in the area. Please, yeah, please well, acquire my... some goodies for us and send them. Yeah, Greg, Greg brought me a couple of t-shirts and sent them over. So I'll be responding in, in MTJC t-shirts for at least three, three or four of the days, right? Are you going to be wearing the I uh, entered the lottery and all I got was this lousy t-shirt? I think I'll wear it. I'll wear it on Sunday. I'll wear it on Sunday. <laughs> I might. I might. I might wear it during the week. Who knows? I'll wear it. I, I need to sure. get one of those from you because. I have. A, I think I have one double extra large left. So I don't know. I don't have very many left. I think I might have an extra large too. I think I, I can have still a, fit into an extra large size. Hmm? I still think I can fit into an extra large if there's well, a, no, double I have a double extra large. Well, no, I have a double extra large because because I I made one up for somebody and then he never sent me the address and then so I, I had two of them and I just shipped one out to a fan a couple of weeks ago. So someday I'll figure I, out I, why I made that childhood wish to look like Santa Claus. I don't know why. <laughs> well, it's funny because I, I have a couple of double extra large T-shirts and and they're comfortable. Like they're not, you don't feel like, you know, they're not skin tight kind of thing, you know? So, so it's not, not a horrible thing to, to have to admit you need a double extra large, you know? So I think you're sort of the same shape physically as me. Am I correct in that? Yeah. I think I'm a little shorter. Yeah. <laughs> That's why yes. I wear the fedora. It, it gives me a little more height. Right, right, right. How tall are you? Uh, well, five, eight as of my last oh, physical, yeah, yeah. I'm actually shrinking. I was five, nine for most of my adult life. And then last really? year they took my physical and they said, well, you're five eight and three quarters. I'm like, I'm shrinking. No. Yeah, that's normal apparently. But yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm still five eleven. So been that my whole life. Well, not my whole life. Sorry, that's, that's incorrect. <laughs> that's inaccurate. It's I mean, the vast majority of your life at this point, grade right? Ten or so. Yeah, ten or eleven. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was gonna say that was a painful birth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You go through mother's off. Like, so the guy that was at Code Mobile is he? Is that Nigel Hamilton, the one that you took the picture with, uh, Jaime? That's right. Yeah, he just walked in with a t-shirt on, like an MTJC t-shirt. No, no, no. He he uh, he's a fan of the show, oh, and okay. uh, I had T-shirts to take over oh, there. Okay, right, right. And he introduced himself, and we talked. And I said, "Oh man, like I have T-shirts. I need to make sure you get one because I was also running low on stock." Right, right. So I made okay. sure, like, hey, we have like a handful of ones. Cool. Very sizes. Try them out. Cool. Uh, gave out pins and stuff over there, and he was wearing the shirt, and I was like, "Oh, this is perfect." Because I'm wearing my uh, original. Yeah, the shirt OG shirt. shirt. Yeah, the OG shirt. I was wearing that for the uh, the presentation day, and. Um, it was interesting because he uh, didn't actually know what I looked like because <laughs> I guess he never, hair, you know, man. you can go to our, go to our, uh, our website, our, our happy faces are there. Yeah. Um, but I guess he'd never actually done it, which I think is pretty reasonable. You know, if you subscribe to uh, yeah. like Overcast or Apple Podcast or something, you don't necessarily see like our faces on there. Well, you know what I noticed too, is that, that um, I post, I always, I have, always have an episode cover art piece that goes on to, goes with the app. And you only, I only see that in Overcast. I don't see that in any of the other podcast players. So every week I painstakingly make a, an image that goes along with the episode and, and you don't see them. I'm kind of disappointed. You, what, what podcast player do you use? I mean, I use Overcast and I do notice it on the website. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, yeah. it's, it's much appreciated. It even shows in the MP3 that I, I download, you know, the local copies. Oh, does it? Stuff. Okay. Yeah. That's true. I've seen yeah. that before too. And there's some, there's some real winners in there. I mean, I think, uh, Tammy with the Moober and she's like, 
like yeah, Doctor Who floating, space, floating yeah. towards the TARDIS. And uh, I think the all-time best one I enjoyed the most was uh, Dr. Mark Rubin and his uh, his best buddy, the dynamic duo yeah. as Batman and, and Robin. Yeah, yeah. Batman and Rubin. <laughs> Batman and Rubin, Tim <laughs> Cook, right? <laughs> Although technically, you know, it's the other way around. Yeah. I just, I, I saw it was like a, a English comedy troupe. Two, two guys were dressed up as Batman and Robin. And, and the height, the size of them were because Mark's a little shorter than Tim Cook, obviously, right? So it kind of worked out pretty well. I'll, uh, hopefully Tim Cook's never seen that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all of a sudden my, my entry to WWDC gets revoked. Um, yeah. Now we have, some, we have some pretty interesting pictures. If you go to our Facebook page, you can see that, you know, I think we have a picture with our T-shirt and uh, air supply. Um, Frederiki. Was it Frederiki? Um, Federico Fittici? No. Yeah, well, we have one. Oh, Craig Federighi. Yeah, Fred, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. On our Facebook Air Force page. One. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I got to see Cherry Gilliam movie just before we recorded today. Which one? Oh yeah, how did that how did that go? Uh the man who killed Don Quixote. Just one night only tonight and tonight's the night. So yeah. Across North America it's it's premier it's basically one night only. And it was actually sold out. Remember I said I thought maybe thirty people would show up? It was sold out and they actually opened another theater to show to have a second screening, right? Or two screens at the same time. And they had a little um making of at the end of it, right? The best part is uh after the initial trailer t- titles run it says and now and it says you know 25 years in the making which is the joke right so of course i got a good laugh out of the out of the whole crowd it's actually pretty good it's an it's an interesting story i mean um i don't i think i'm safe in saying it's not his best movie but uh but it, it's it's got its moments it's pretty funny it's, it's and it's all over the place typical terry gilliam kind of stuff right so so what would you say is his best movie um, I'm a big. F- I like time travel, so I'm a big fan of Twelve Monkeys. Brazil is probably my favorite movie, and and Time Bandits. I think it's probably so. Those are probably the top three. I would say Time Bandits is my favorite Terry, Terry Gilliam movie. Uh, Brazil, and then uh, and then probably Twelve Monkeys. What do you uh, think? Somewhere I read that Apple t- that Apple's programming that they're planning is going to actually bring in a Time Bandits series. Yes, that's true. Yeah, they, they Honey reported that on Spotcast two weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. I'm not terribly thrilled about that. But you know, well, the director's the guy from Ragnarok, and he's he's funny and crazy. Yeah, but I, I don't, and so I don't think Time Bandits was Time Bandits wasn't Terry Gilliam's story, right? Like Brazil was, and I think Twelve Monkeys was. You can tell the ones that Fisher King is another one. I think that Terry Gilliam was was responsible for. Oh, Jabberwocky! I gotta say, Jabberwocky is one oh, of my yeah. favorite movies too, right? So it's just ridiculous. And I, I went, to, so it turned out I went to the theater, and, and another friend of mine who I you know frequently run into on a regular basis, Annie Hart. Uh, who doesn't listen to the show or any of our podcasts, surprisingly? But uh, run into ran into her in the theater, and so we sat with her and a, and a friend of hers, and we had a, a good chat about Star Trek and uh, podcasts and stuff like that before we before the show began. But um, why am I telling you this? Uh, oh, she said she's never seen Jabberwocky, right? So like, her homework assignment was to go and watch that. So I, I like the ridiculousness of that. It's sort of you know our sensibility of how ridiculous the Middle Ages were, you know, kind of thing. You agree? You don't agree? Disagree? It's been a long time since I've show. seen it. Oh, it just came out on Blu-ray. Mm. Go, go buy buy a copy. Or rent yeah. it on your favorite streaming service. That's true. You could do that, too. Do you rent movies on iTunes? I do. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. I, it I gives, me that, it gives me that blockbuster feel of, of right. I don't have to commit to this thing. Yeah. But then again, I still have a I still have a, a preteen, so I don't get out to cinema as much as I want to unless it's like for the major big blockbuster that I know I'm going to get out to. Right. Have you seen Captain Marvel? Oh, yeah. That was one of the yes. major big blockbusters that I was out there on a 
opening weekend for. Yeah, that's, that's just because of the blockbuster reference, right? So, Well, that one just broke billion. Did it? Yeah, it's so now, I, I think, number seven. So we did see oh. Shazam last weekend. I, I do highly recommend you go see Shazam. Really? Yeah, no. yeah. It was, it's interesting. I mean, it's not it's not Shakespeare, right? Uh, but it's not Pacific Rim either by that same token. Time, uh, t- um, Jaime knows how I feel about uh, Pacific Rim. But I've never actually made it through an entire Pacific Rim movie. But um, it, it's it's got some really good humor. I mean, it's, it was PG, right? So it, it's not, you know, like imagine a 15-year-old kid is all of a sudden transformed into this buff, you know, adult, you know, and and what two kids would do with that, right? Like, so they start making mm-hmm. YouTube videos about all the, the, they have these trials to see what kind of, what kind of skills the superhero has, right? And of course, there's a scene where they, they go to the beer store to uh, to buy beer, right? <laughs> you know, and the kids never bought beer yeah. before. And the two of them get the beer and they both spit it out as soon as they taste it, right? But, yeah. Yeah. And there's, you know, there's one scene, where I'm not really spoiling it for you, but there's one scene where uh, I think it's at the beer store with a couple of people come in to rob the store while they're in there. And, and the one, the regular kid looks at the, at the Shazam and, or at Captain Marvel and says, he kind of says, gives him the head nod, like, go, go take care of that. And he's like, oh, yeah, sure, okay. And he runs over and he goes, you, stop that. And sort of they, start, they shoot him, right, with a gun. And the bullet just bounces off him. And they're like, ooh, you have bullet immunity, right? And said, shoot him again, shoot him again. And so they start, so <laughs> the two criminals are shooting him. And then he's like, well, wait a minute. You only shot him in the chest, you, you know, where he's covered up with his, with his, his uh, uniform or his suit or whatever, right? Shoot him in the face. <laughs> and the entire audience goes, no. Right. <laughs> but it's all that kind of stuff, that, that kind of like, you know, a 15-year-old, hey, let's see if this works kind of stuff, right? Childlike wonder. It is. It is. It's it's a very, and of course, they have a, they open up a YouTube channel and they start publishing all their little videos of, of him and stuff like that. So it's, it's actually, it's actually pretty funny. And it's in the same universe as the other DC, uh, DC uh, people. So it's not, it's not, they're not in it per se, like other, there's no other, um, other than Captain Marvel related stuff. That's all I'm going to say, but... Uh, yeah, you know, because there's obviously a, a, an, um, an evil guy. What do you call those guys? A nemesis, right? But uh, yeah, sadly, all I could get out to see in the past week, and I was up in Canada again, was uh, I think it's called Wonder Park or Wonderland, which was the animated feature about a little girl who designs an amusement park and then has to save it, and then she basically loses faith in it and stops thinking about the amusement park, and then finds herself in the amusement park trying to save it from the the darkness of it being abandoned oh okay all right it's hmm. so wanted to be a pixar movie and it just missed on a couple of things it suffered from the same problem as tomorrowland it had such a great idea and such potential and they had to cut corners in so many places to make a simple movie that it, it, it lost some of its potential depth right right hmm. but i mean the seven and the eight-year-old who came along loved it so it, it fit its audience Right, right, right. Interesting. Hmm. That whole whole your your son is? Oh no, this was with the girls. Oh the girl oh the the girlfriend's kids. Okay, cool. Noise. All right. Indeed, I have so my one learning, if I can take anything from the UK, just mm-hmm. briefly, because mm-hmm. uh, I have this page open. So the word pudding is so fraught with potential pitfalls over there because it, it could mean, like I would expect, you know, like a Jello nice, and yeah. Yeah. sweet dessert, you know, pudding, yeah. a creamy type dessert. It could be the generic term for dessert as an alternative. Yes, you know, right. Yeah. Kind of pudding. Would you like, oh, I'd yeah. like some cake. Oh, okay. Um, and uh, to my surprise, 
surprise, uh, black pudding. Yes, yeah. I should have Googled, oh, but it is, distinctly, it is distinctly not uh, a sweet pudding, nor is it a dessert. Yeah, so you tried it, for, the speakers, for the speaker's dinner, they had like, oh, you know, choose these things. And I, I had chosen it uh, some time ago, and I, I, I didn't even think to Google. I was like, oh, it's a little weird that a starter is a is a pudding, but maybe it's like, you know, euphemism. Like, oh. You know, maybe it's like, like, like gravy on mashed potatoes or something. Uh, but no, for those of you who have not looked on the interwebs, uh, this is made from pork blood with mm-hmm. pork fat or beef suet and a cereal, usually oatmeal, oat groats, or barley groats, and commonly includes herbs such as pennyroyal. Right. So it was uh, it, when uh, uh, one of the locals saw that I had, like, did you order black pudding? I was like, yeah, why? What, what's in it? And like, I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> like, why did you even bring it up then? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I would have yeah. been better off not knowing what it was, and I thought it was something horrible, but it's not. It tastes pretty good. I don't know that I would go out of my way to go like, Yeah, but did you have it by it itself, or you had it with eggs and bacon and breakfast or something? It was... Oh, what was it? A, it was like on a bed of egg. Yeah. Were there baked beans? The baked beans. I don't think. No, no. The one I had did not have baked beans. I'd have to see. Maybe I got a picture of it. And yeah. see. It's funny, you know, that you say that because we used to, in my family when I growing up, we used to call dinner dessert pudding, like you said, right? And, and it's kind of, I guess, after I've met, lived with all these Canadian girls over the years, you know, they they know what we call it dessert now, right? But yeah, I forgot about pudding. And yeah, we used to have black pudding for with our with our cereal on, or sorry, with our breakfast on Sunday mornings as you know. We'd have like a fried tomato and egg and bacon and toast and, and a bit of black pudding, but not, you know, not a lot of it, right? So, yeah, it's it definitely acquired taste. It took me years to understand, Alon, you can't have your meat, you can't have your pudding until you've had your meat. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Really? Okay. Yeah. No, it's, yeah, that's that's where the line comes from, for sure. So I got it right away, because of course, being raised <laughs> Britain. You had the unfair advantage. Yes, the unfair advantage of, of being born in Britain. Yeah, yeah, and the the other thing I discovered, or well, one, I, I mean, it's, I feel like it could have been show topic, but um, Apple Pay is like ten times better over there than it is here in the United States. Oh, really? Why? And it's not because of Apple Pay per se, but the fact that they have contactless payments just about everywhere you go meant that I I never had to use cash. I never had to use yeah. my actual credit card. I was just like, oh yeah, go up to Canada. Canada's to got it wired as well as as yeah, that. pretty much. Yeah. Every time I go to Canada, I my wallet barely comes out. It's it's all off my watch. Yeah, yeah exactly. it was sweet. And I ended up buying uh, a Manchester City um, uh, soccer scarf uh, from a street vendor. I was like, oh, I'm going to get this as a memento, a souvenir. And this is the one time I had to use cash. And I had no clue how much anything was in terms of you know change I should be getting back. Because, as it turns out, the vendor made a mistake. He did it in my favor. But I had uh, I had this scarf that they wanted eight pounds. I was like, all right, well, I've got a 20 pound bill. I'm a 20 pound bill. And I would expect, oh, okay, that's going to be 12 pounds, right? So he gives me a 10 pound adorable little bill. And then he gives me a one pound coin. So that's 11 pounds so far. And then he gives me three coins, each of which are 50 pence. Okay. And I don't know. I'm like, oh, I I thought pence were like pennies. You'd have a hundred of them for a dollar. I guess not. Maybe it's like three or four. Like, I'm not sure how much is in here. Yeah. yeah, I looked it up. I was like, wait a minute. He gave me 50 extra pence. Oh, really? Hmm. Like he cheated himself because he gave me the, the full 12 and then he gave me an extra 50. So back in the day, 
um, British money was all sort of like weird. I can't, I can't even remember. They had pence and they had farthings and a bunch of other things. But shillings. Then, but then stuff. they went, yeah, shillings. But then they went to the sort of metric uh, numbering like we have, right? So in Canada and the United States. Stop yelling at your phones, Brits. But, you know, yeah. We have, so we have those, some of those old coins in our collections, you know. Their, their money is, is like, like if you took American money and washed it together with Canadian money. Mm-hmm. I find that your guys' bills are more, um, they're like brighter colored for sure and uh, more plasticky. Oh, well, yeah, polymer-y. those are re- recent, recent bills, yeah. Yeah. And, and theirs have a lot of polymer stuff in it, so it feels very different from American money. Oh, but really? it okay, yeah. Kind of has a texture and color that's more muted than the Canadian style money. Yeah, and the, the, the bills are different sizes, right? There's different sizes, like a twenty is bigger than a ten, and so on and so forth, right? I, I only have two different kinds of bills because I went to the ATM, so I only have a twenty, which is pretty big, and a ten, which is adorably small. It looks like it's for small children. Okay, it's it's like like you could not possibly confuse those two. So how much is 20 pounds in American dollars? Uh, Are we talking figuring for Brexit or not? Uh, I don't know. Uh, When I was there, it was like $1.30 per pound. So it was like 30%. Yeah, Yeah, it's gone up and down. It's different things like over the years. The coins out of Britain are really kind of interesting because I think if you have one of each coin, you can actually, the the latest mint, you can actually make a shield out of the patterns on the coins. Really? Hmm. Interesting. Following up here, it looks like it's still the same rate, roughly a dollar thirty-one to one pound sterling. So, did you fly into like Heathrow and then up to, or did you fly into Manchester? Flew into Manchester. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was uh, a little further away. Chester is a uh, largely a university town. Mm-hmm. I mean, there there is other stuff around it, but like it's so clear that so much is predicated on the presence of the University of Chester. And I got to see the the cathedral and walk around and see a little bit of the castle stuff and the walls that are still up there mm. around the city. And uh, seeing Roman stuff, yeah, yeah. There's a, a Roman amphitheater, um, all the architecture over there. Um, like, I think one of the like satellite campuses for the University of Chester has like a Roman Parthenon column sort of thing out front hmm. uh, and people claim this to be true but i obviously was not gonna like try and i didn't look it up but they say that oh if you're on the walls at midnight and a welshman comes up you can still legally shoot them with a bow and arrow or <laughs> some other like <laughs> archaic law that never actually came off the books really from, from the old days nice the laws nice. are your friends there's so many things that you can find on different books i'm pretty sure in the city of pittsburgh you still can't walk your cow on the sidewalk after dark really yeah <laughs> right from, from like uh the 1800s or something mm. yeah <laughs> so i'm looking up some of these things here so i didn't realize terry gilliam did fear and loathing in las vegas which i noticed yeah, was not on yeah, your list yeah that was that was one where he he, he did, wasn't the original director of it and he, he took on the project later on right so yeah and looking up the oak ridge boys <laughs> According to Google, <laughs> according to Google, I, I mean, just based on like the thing it shows in their discography on the little right hand side panel, it says here songs. The first one on the list is from 1981, Elvira. They actually just Might recently had a cover of that with an acapella group called Home Free. They're a country acapella group that covered the song with them. Really good remix of the song. And I'm not a country music fan. Well, let's see here. Oh, they're, they're still on tour. Mm-hmm. It says tour dates. Oh, what, what just happened? My. Tour dates uh, coming up Friday, April 12th in St. Joseph, Missouri. I mean, they're not playing huge venues anymore, but uh, Elvira was their huge song and uh, their recent cover of it with with the acapella group is fantastic. Wow. I'll have to check that out. I'll have to check out the video of that. Oh, it's on Apple Music, too. Never mind. I'll listen to my HomePod. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Yeah. I'm reading this book like a comic book. I don't think it's it's ever been opened properly. (laughs) 
was the, the Macintosh, <laughs> the old Macintosh manual. Yeah, yeah. Should be using like acid-free gloves and stuff. I'll have to remember right. to pack the Apple one that I, I posted so you can take a look at it so you can see all of the hardware specs in it. Sure. I'm saying, Tim, you should be using like archival quality acid-free gloves. To yeah, touch that yeah. Thing. Ooh, look at some some of these illustrations are pretty cool. I've seen I've seen this before because there's a there's a website where somebody documented it. But you know how you read comic books where you just barely open them at like 20 degrees? Yeah, I mean, like Jonathan's got all the comic books and stuff. I'm sure he has gear that can help you preserve that thing. Yeah. Oh, I have a. I have I mean, like he has a Ziploc bag, and it's gone into as soon as it arrived. You know. Yeah, you want the acid-free instead of the Ziploc because that's plastic is treated so it won't flake the paper. Oh, okay. I used to collect comics. Yeah. Now Jonathan's got a lifetime supply of comics. If you really want to go crazy, you get the acid-free bags, and you get a backing board so it doesn't run the risk of getting folded. Right. Right. Yes, we're familiar with the process. I haven't quite got my son onto this yet. He just hasn't quite bitten onto the comic book craze. Mm-hmm. I have faith. Yeah. I guess it's a little different now because they're they're definitely not as cheap um, and like disposable as they once were. You don't just you know mm-hmm. find them at the local drugstore. They're significantly higher priced. They tend to be collected in graphic novels, and it almost feels like the the best way of anything nowadays to get into that would be to have one of those all you can eat subscriptions to like DC or Marvel Comics. Yeah, yeah. I've been doing the Marvel one to catch up on some old books and and look through some of the the old old things that I used to read. Well, this is pretty cool. I like it because it explains the whole desktop metaphor and how to use a mouse and back in the early, early days. Oh, yeah. Of computing. Yeah, so it's a little wrinkly and beat up on the back, but it like, like, but it's clean, you know, like not, not well loved. I mean, well loved, I guess, or just lived in somebody's drawer for all these years, right? I, I also have a Picasso Light as well. You've, you've seen those ones? No. No, I don't think I know what you're talking about. So when when the Mac first came out, they gave all the dealers like a, you know, you know how you take a piece of glass and you etch the etch a design into it and you light it from the edge, right? Yep. So it's the, the Picasso drawing that's the original Macintosh logo Ooh. in a glass thing that's about like 12 inches high or so. Yeah, bought one of those on eBay years and years ago. Someday it'll be oh. worth something. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's kind of worth something now. I can't remember what I paid, but it wasn't wasn't inexpensive, but it wasn't ridiculous. Maybe you need to start like a, a YouTube craze, just create a fake video where you take one of those, not a real one, of course, mm-hmm. and you like say, oh, it's the smash this thing challenge. <laughs> see if you can convince people, yeah. <laughs> share it in the Apple community, see if people will destroy theirs and yours will go up in value. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. 
Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.